You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today we are so excited to welcome Elizabeth Kilcoyne to talk about her debut YA novel, Wake the Bones. Elizabeth Kilcoyne is an author, poet, and playwright from Lexington, Kentucky, who began this story after stacking rocks in her family cemetery one day when she realized she was standing on her own grave. She has been published in several literary journals, including Still, The Journal, and Wake the Bones is her first novel. Thanks so much for being here, Elizabeth. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, so before I have you read a little something for us, would you like to give us, I'd love to hear a little about how this story came about, especially from how it started sitting in your family cemetery and a little bit of the origin, and then you can maybe read a little bit and introduce us to Laurel and her world. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I was writing Wake the Bones, I called it sort of the big grief book. I was processing um, a lot of death that had gone on, not just in my own family, but in my my friend group and the community around me fairly quickly. um, And trying to come to terms with how you keep going when something like that happens. Um, But I had always wanted to write a story set in you know, in in my hometown of Kentucky, um, my home state of Kentucky. um, And I had always wanted to sort of explore the living and dying, not just of people, but like of towns in rural Kentucky as times change, as particularly in single commodity economies, you know, when, when, when that econ- there's no more demand for that commodity, entire towns can dry up, you know, uh, moving a highway can dry up an entire town. And comparing and contrasting that as well to the amount of time spent in the woods and the amount of time, you know, seeing life and death firsthand, um, I got fairly obsessed with uh, vulture culture. It's a lot of people who, um, it, it's, what, it's what Laurel does as a taxidermist, mm-hmm. um, who articulate bone and who find, you know, find bone out in the woods and process it in such a way that it can be turned into art and jewelry and beauty. Um, I was really obsessed with that as a way to deal with mortality. Uh, and it happened to coincide perfectly with a local legend um, it's, it's, it's a story that's fairly common uh, in, as far as ghost stories in Appalachia go, Rawhead and Bloody Bones. Uh, and the briefest version that I can give you of that basically is uh, when a witch's familiar, a giant hog, is slain by the poacher down the holler, uh, she summons up a spirit of revenge from his bone pile that stands up on two legs and goes running through the woods. And you know, But at the end of the day, it's still her friend, and it comes and it sits in the rocking chair and talks to you. So mm-hmm. while I was processing all of this grief, I was thinking, you know, this thing feels like a monster to me, but like, how do you turn a monster into something that sits up in your rocking chair? And, you know, how do you get control over this? So tying in a lot of those elements together, I ended up with uh, this novel right here. <laughs> yeah, I um, and we're gonna, everything you said, I have so many questions about, we're gonna get into so much, but uh, I'd love for you to introduce us to Laurel, um, our main character and, and read a little bit from the beginning for us. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got my the, my finished copies came. Your today. finished copies, yay! Oh, <laughs> I'm holding this thing that doesn't feel real in my hands. Uh, let me read to you from chapter one. A symphony of survival wound its way through the emerald tobacco fields of the early farm. The dead things sang their harmony in the mid-July heat, loud enough to drown out the cicada's screams. By the roots of a sycamore tree, half a jawbone waited in the dirt for Laurel early to find it. It was a good jaw. It had held on to most of its teeth even after the gums peeled away and beetles stripped it of its flesh. She rinsed it in the shallows of the river running alongside the fields and tucked it into her bag as she continued her walk looking for more bones to add to her collection. The jawbone had belonged to a fox, but when he laid his head down and failed to lift it again, he left his jaw and every other part of him up for grabs. What was left belonged to Laurel. That was the rule with bones. Unless you hid them in a casket below the earth, anyone could eat, break, or use them to their advantage. Laurel was one such scavenger. She made half her living off growing tobacco, and the other half off what the dead left behind. She needed the cash flow now more than ever. Her student loans would soon dry up into debt without the degree she'd set out for last fall. So she boiled flesh and fat from bones or let them dry in the sun, then strung them onto bracelets or twisted them up in wire to make hairpins and brooches. These sold in her online store for far less than their lives were worth. Laurel used the slabs of limestone jutting out from the soil as steps towards the secluded cemetery at the top of the hill, where she stopped each morning to catch her breath before heading back. It was a hard spot to see until you were right up on it. The view from the main road was obscured by honey locusts. From there, you could look down and see the whole of Laurel's world. The tobacco barn high upon the hill, the equipment barn in the bottom, surrounded by its own graveyard of skeletal old car frames and the farm equipment covered by ragged blue tarps. Above it was the small white farmhouse where she lived with her uncle. She kept a cheerful-looking rabbit hutch painted a faded red in the yard behind a slanting little wash house. A wire fence restrained a garden heaving with vegetables, and below, six acres of tobacco fields sprawled. Beyond that, the thin arms of the shallow river cradled the property. The cemetery's border stuck out of the ground like jagged teeth grinning atop the hill. It was an eyesore, all chicken wire and thick wooden fence posts, a rust-speckled bull gate instead of wrought iron entryway. Laurel loved the practicality of it, uniform with the rest of the fences and gates of the early property. It was farm functional, no different from the fields where the tobacco grew. It wasn't violating a sacred space when she hopped the bullgate. It was just stopping by for a visit. Buried in a concrete vault and a metal casket six feet below the ground was another set of bones. These belonged to Laurel's mother and had been there for the better part of twenty years. Other bones had rested there longer. Laurel Early's grandparents, her great-grandparents, great-great-aunts and uncles she'd never met, and a baby, about a hundred years older than Laurel, marked with a date but not a name. Her mother's gravestone was her favorite of the grim assortment. Laurel loved the way the rain-stained marble looked sticking out of the earth, engraved simply, Anna Early. Laurel had traced those letters with her fingertips since long before she could read them. "'Did you miss me?' she asked, half-whispering. "'Well, you won't have to any more. I'm staying home for good.' college didn't work out. The wonderful thing about having a tombstone for a mother was that she couldn't disapprove. Can you keep going? That's good. Yeah, a little a little intro. We don't want to give any any secrets away and there are many, many secrets uh, in this book. And so I'd love to start by talking about um, a sense of place, which you, you mentioned in the beginning and it 
was very, very evident reading this book that it was written by someone who had lived their life in this area. Like it, it didn't even, it wasn't that it was specific, but you could tell that it like came from inside a person really like it was a place that had made up their entire being. Um, and so I'd love to hear just a little bit about your relationship to place and Kentucky specifically and Appalachia because the everything was it was just so specific but you could tell like like I said that it was from someone who had spent so much time there and their their sense of self was defined by it yeah absolutely well um it, it, it is a love letter to Kentucky for all of its, you know, rotting and climbing out of the ground and pulling itself back up. I think that there's a lot of Kentucky that feels like that, you know, um, particularly just the history of the region and the personal sort of connection to it, too. Um, I knew when I wrote this book, I really wanted to write something with a deep connection to place and to land. Um, I went through a walk through my family's farm in late June and listed all of the flowers and made notes of sort of how they they connected with one another and which ones were blooming as the other ones were fading and sort of stuff like that, just because I wanted to capture something that I've loved for years and years and years. Um, and then, of course, because I'm me, I had to twist it a little bit further than it would go, <laughs> you know, naturally, um, and explore a lot of the complicated feelings that live inside you when, you know, you're deciding whether to leave or to stay. And I think I, I had this conversation with a Kentuckian earlier today, actually, um, about why this is a YA novel is because almost everybody I know who lives in Kentucky at around the time that they're Laurel's age, maybe a little younger, a little older, has to grapple with the question of whether to stay or to leave. Um, and I was grappling with that to a certain extent while I was writing the book myself. So I just wanted to hold as much of it as possible in my hands and explore, you know, what's good, what's bad, what's there and what it feels like when it's not quite what you remember from childhood and it's not quite what you wanted it to be when you were an adult. Um, how you reckon with that, particularly as somebody who is queer um, growing up here, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions that you ask that maybe your neighbors aren't asking um, about your identity and your ability to stay. Um, and so I wanted to I didn't end up really wanting to answer that for anybody but myself. Um, and that's why a lot of the characters, you know, Laurel's friends, they're all given reasons to go and reasons to stay um, that all impact each other pretty strongly. Uh, and one of the reasons to stay that is in common with all of them is love for each other and love for the land. Um, but also one of the reasons to go that's universal for them all is the understanding that land does not necessarily love you back in the way that you would ever understand love to look like land is going to do as it does and that was a both scary thing to write i think that's where a lot of the horror elements come in the understanding that you know when you're out in the woods there's always something watching you and there's always some way that you can mess up that would you know cause a lot of trouble and pain so exploring that, but also exploring, you know, what a comfort that is at the same time, mm -hmm. the idea that 
in anything can change you know human beings we can do different things we can need different things from the land we can move and go but what the land is doing will stay consistent long after human beings have even stopped existing mm -hmm. uh and so that was a pretty important thing that features fairly importantly in the magical system you know it's the magical system of wake the bones is not necessarily like here's this this thing that i can harness and use and control that makes sense to me you know it's here's this wondrous and beautiful thing that i get to be a part of and I get to exercise my will and I get to see, you know, what happens if I do this and that. But at the end of the day, I don't necessarily control the outcome with just a flick of my hand. That's what I that's something that I, I noticed and I I loved so much about this story is it I wouldn't really call it a fantasy or or even like magic exists within like you said there's a magical system that is at play in this story and this place that we're in but whether it's the land or the or the groundedness in this place you it doesn't feel as it doesn't feel fantastical mm -hmm. it still feels so grounded in reality um and at the same time the devil that they're dealing with doesn't like he is still manifested within this magical system but he also so seamlessly is like the issues that they're dealing with. So you really balanced that idea of, you know, your your demons being metaphorical and your your demons being a walking pile of bones on two feet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like it really, it was something that I really enjoyed because a lot of times like you can read a fantasy YA novel, especially, and you'll, and you know that you're away, you're in fantasy, you're taken away out of like a real life situation and there are stakes but it is ultimately fantastical um but this the way that this was written was just so fun to read in that way um because one i have a note that i just i want to talk about the devil <laughs> i'm like let's talk about the devil um because he he is so charismatic and charming in this uh, manifestation a little bit. And we don't see him very much. We don't interact with him very much. But when we do, mm -hmm. he he is a way out, which um, he's offering a way out, which is what you mentioned. All of these characters are sort of looking for. If they have a way out, how are they going to get out? If they don't want to get out, how do they keep from being either swept out or pulled out? Um, and I'm sure, as you mentioned earlier, there are so many um, stories and tales about the devil in this region. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about how this devil, like how he came about and yeah. what his, um, his like personality, how it, how it sort of unfolded. Well, I, I owe a lot to, I mean, both with Rawhead and Bloody Bones and a lot of the magical existing system in the region, there is a wealth of magic, there is a wealth of mystery, and there is a wealth of horror to the region. I mean, like, I grew up parented in part by ghost stories, I joke. Um, <laughs> the idea of a woman at the bottom of the well was a very practical and easy way to keep us from playing on top of the well. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, the idea of a devil in the woods, there's always this fear, I feel like, um, when you're walking through the woods that you're going to run into something unknown. Like, for me, my real life fear is, you know, there, there's been a lot of 
resurgence of this like myth of you know something like whistling in the woods that'll come and get you and eat you in Appalachia and that's like not something that we're particularly concerned about you know it's like, oh, don't go into the woods at night in Appalachia it's like tell that to people who work third shift like we're <laughs> teenagers who are out shooting stop signs you know like it's it's people are out all night in Appalachia it's it's fine but what does scare me more than anything my own personal fear is that I'm going to be walking through the woods and like somebody has let a tiger loose like some sort of crappy mm -hmm. zoo uh and so I tried to harness that real life fear and connect yeah. it with this, this sort of myth of uh the outsider the other you know the coal baron if you're a little further east you know the the person who wants to take advantage who wants to use what you've got who doesn't really value you as a person necessarily but surely can offer you something that you know feels feels very worthwhile at the time but then all of a sudden you've signed away you know mineral rights and then they take the land up from under you there's there's a lot of things that aren't remotely paranormal uh mm -hmm. that feature in that sort of story but i also I needed a malevolent spirit and a malevolent force. And so it's less like, he's not like capital S Satan. He's more of a, a devil of myth. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. tapping into that sort of those original myths where, you know, you have this, this sly talking spirit that comes down to you off the hill and all of a sudden, you know, something is happening that shouldn't be happening. Um, but I liked, the thing I liked about writing his... And you, I, he's a fairly abstract villain um, yeah. because he, he gets to represent a lot of things. He gets to play with a lot. Um, is compiling a lot of things about the culture and and the outside culture, sort of the, the war between, uh, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I liked a lot of fairly abstract, gross concepts of pollution and gore, but then also, you know, the pulling in aspect as well, you know, the seductive aspect. It was a lot of fun to write. And I just, I let myself have a lot of fun writing bad with that one. You know, if you can name a yeah. character the devil, you know that there's <laughs> not, you're not playing with an ethical code here. You don't have to be no. like, oh, this villain is morally gray. You're like, oh, this guy sucks. <laughs> like... Let's make it, let's make it work. Um, and I liked having him play in relation to the land as well. I think it was important mm -hmm. to me to write the land as a character with its own desires and needs that are separate from the people walking on top of it. Um, so I liked making him part of this sort of struggle earlier than time where, you know, you have life and death and that's the cycle as it should be. And then you have what people have been doing since the beginning of time, what Laurel is doing to an extent, both with her mother and with mm -hmm. taxidermy, which is trying to preserve it and hold on to it and treat it unnaturally as possible so he does, yeah <laughs> he does a lot of heavy lifting for me but i think he's he was a, he was a fun character to write i loved writing him i loved writing anna i i loved isaac's point of view when i was able to do it as well like i i just sort of let myself do a lot i was gonna say another character that i feel like would have been extremely fun to write was christine oh my god <laughs> I keep saying um, I'm never gonna re like I and, and you know never say never, but I'm I'm I feel like I'm pretty done with all of the characters in this world except for sometimes yeah. Christine comes into my head in the middle of the night and bites me on the back of like the neck and it's like hey maybe there's something more here. So I loved her voice. I needed her from the beginning. You know I have so much adoration and awe and hero worship for these mean ass country women who 
have seen it all, have done it all, who know you're dumb, who know you're going to yeah. figure it out. <laughs> there, Christine is a love letter to like 25 women who have had incredibly difficult conversations with me while smoking a cigarette. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's obvious, but she, no, she's definitely a love letter. And it's like, it's a love letter to, um, to anyone who's taught you anything, yeah. you know, who's ever, who's ever taken the time cigarette or not to sit down and like explain something to you, whether they do it kindly or matter of factly. <laughs> well, and it was, yeah, working at like my first job was as a waitress. Um, and it sucked. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, but those women who just know how to do it and know how to do everything else in life basically and will take you by the neck as a 16 year old and be like hey watch it <laughs> that's christine and i love her so much <laughs> and i'd love to talk a little bit about our our sort of main four characters so we've got laurel and her best friend isaac mm -hmm. um and then ricky and garrett who are brothers who are at home in Kentucky still when uh, Laurel comes back, they've all grown up together um, mm -hmm. and they are all in their own ways, um, as we mentioned, kind of grappling with that decision of whether to stay or whether to go. And what I loved so much about each of their um, each of their sort of storylines that we follow as they grapple with that question is it almost seems like none of none of them feel as though it is that simple. Um, like it isn't, it isn't, I'm going to leave or I'm going to stay. And they, even though some of them choose the same option, the choice feels so different for everyone. Um, and that choice, like you said, for so many people in that area, it is like, they're making it for the same reasons or whatever. I can't stay any longer, or I have to leave now, or I will never leave or all of those things. And there were just such um, such interesting conversations about that question between the four of them, specifically with uh, Isaac and Garrett. It was it was so heartbreaking in some ways because I like I wanted them all to do what they felt they needed to do, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it was so heartbreaking to know that that may not end up being the same thing. Um, but also that feeling that place holds so much weight um, in, like you said, the land and the place and where you are at makes such a difference in, in how you make that decision. And the fact that they have Cincinnati, which is a little ways away, but so close that you can go there and not have Kentucky. They've tasted a little something else that works. Um, it was just such a, I love I love a YA novel that has like very in-depth nuanced like internal ideas for kids especially when they're like when they have to think about those big decisions which not a lot of some kids don't have to you know right. some kids don't have to make those choices and this was a this was an example of some they that don't get it to feels as well yeah you know, and it feels like life or death mm -hmm. to them yeah I mean, that one, that was the easy part of it for me to write. That's a decision that every single person in my life has made at one point or another, yeah. basically, is, you know, there's, if you're choosing to stay in Kentucky, 
which I think, I mean, I'm in Kentucky right now, like, you know, this is a choice, you know, you're staying for a reason and you're staying for a fight a lot of the time um, and deciding whether or not, I, it's not a right or wrong decision, like, you know, um, and I, I don't want anybody to think that, like, and I, I, they, I mean, they make different decisions. I don't want to spoil the book, but, you know, uh, yeah. it, it's, I've got a lot of friends in a lot of different area codes, and we all started out in the same spot, you know, uh, and I'm really proud of that. I am mm -hmm. so proud of the decisions that the people who I love have made, uh, and they've made them for a lot of reasons, and they're not necessarily the reasons that I think people expect about Kentucky either. Uh, like, for example, like, I, as a, as a queer person living in the South, um, there is always that, I mean, the, the shock that I get in New York City, like, oh my God, you live in Kentucky. Like, are, are you the only gay person you know? Like, I, I <laughs> <laughs> not even close. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I wanted to like make it clear that even in the rural South, there are little pockets of acceptance for some people. Um, like Garrett could probably live very comfortably. And he, he, he discusses that, you know, like he's willing to do what he needs to do uh, to stay home and enjoy, you know, without a lot of trouble. But the same, he and Isaac are exactly the same in the aspect of their sexuality uh, and their orientation and how they've learned to deal with it growing up. But the difference is really supportive parents. Uh, and that's the difference for a lot of queer kids in the South. Um, it, that's where the choice gets made for you a lot of times um, is the love and support of your parents and your family. So that was one aspect that I really wanted to explore. Um, and then the idea necessarily, you know, Laurel is really set on a vision of her home that she has seen a hundred times because trying to do the weird thing out in the world did not work for her. But the same cannot be said of Ricky, who does want to stay, but who doesn't necessarily want to get married at 18 and, you know... <laughs> do the sort of thing that he's seen everybody he went to high school with do. He yeah. wants to stay there, but he wants to see what staying there could possibly look like. And a lot of their courtship, it's a very classic sort of courtship for the area, you know, teasing and fighting and, you know, that sort of thing, that sort of young, <laughs> ridiculous love. But at the same time, you know, the destination and the goal is fairly different for each of them. So, and they have to figure out how to exist, you know. Yeah. As a couple. And you talked about, uh, you know, kind of walking through your, uh, your family's land and looking at the flowers and what, you know, what was there and what was fading and what was coming back. And uh, I feel like this is constantly happening, even with the things that you know, or you think you know so well that you've known so long, you know so well. Did you feel like you learned anything or discovered anything either about yourself or your land or oh, your yeah. family or anything while you were working on this and writing this book? Yeah, well, I mean, when I, I have always been given the advice that when you write a book, you should know the answer to the question that you're asking before you start. And I did not with this book. <laughs> I was like, hey, uh, how do I live with this life, basically? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Was, <laughs> I, I'm asking it again. Um, this was yeah. an answer that worked a couple of years ago, and I now have another question. So we'll see what the next book holds. But um, yeah, no, this was, I was trying to figure out the answer to a lot of different things. And I mean, you do that when you're in the woods anyways. Um, I just brought a plot to it. 
but <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, in terms of practical skills, I have learned um, bone articulation and taxidermy. Uh -huh. I actually got to do a European mount. Uh, my, my dad took a deer a couple years ago, and I was like, all right, uh, let's let's get there was a pressure washer involved i'll spare you a lot of details but it was <laughs> it was messy work but i wanted to understand you know i've always sort of seen death like you know when you're in the country you see things die all the time mm -hmm. um but i wanted to sort of understand this sort of level that people take it to um and explore it without you know judgment or disgust or whatever and i found out i mean just the anatomical knowledge that i gained was fascinating yeah. But I also found out just a lot about time and a lot about how things I, I don't I don't necessarily know how to articulate what I found from that, but it was a fascinating thing to learn. And then yeah, practically I brushed up on a lot of botany. I'm still terrible at tree identification, but I can walk around and tell you the name of probably a hundred different kinds of flowers, uh and plants, etc. Um, and I can tell you what pollinators like them and stuff like that and what's invasive and what's not. You know, we have um, just an incredible prairie system that used to be there um, before people decided to farm. You know, you can't criticize people for eating, but, you know, yeah. farming has its, its problems, you know, especially running a lot of cattle and impacting land a lot. You know, uh, there's a lack of diversity. Uh, that comes back up. So knowing, you know, when you see something rare, when you see something beautiful in the woods, when you see a flower that isn't very common, appreciating that all the more. And also knowing that the best way to see more of it the next year is to step back, put your hands up and walk away from it, not take a picture of it, not tell anybody where you found it, just leave it alone. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big lesson as well. Yeah. And then uh, one of my my big questions that I love to ask people when, uh, when we talk about books is if there is a medium or a um, any sort of like art form or creative form that you haven't tried yet that you either really want to or you're not sure, like you have a fear of trying it or you haven't had the chance yet, whichever, but something that you'd really love to try. Well, I was really blessed in that I went to a performing arts high school, so I got to do a lot of experimenting with a lot of different art forms. And there are some art forms that I keep myself kind of purposely bad at, that uh -huh. I don't try to monetize or use in any sort of way, shape, or form. I love yeah. music. I always have really loved music. I was big into like the punk and hardcore scene growing up. Um, and so, and that's great because you don't have to be particularly good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd like to, you know what, a specific answer. I have never officially tried to play the drums. It is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. I've got a more of an understanding of how people do that than I used to. But yeah. it's like an investment. Oh yeah. Like that's why there's not a lot of drummers and a lot of like bands around <laughs> the time. It's just because you have to like, you have to be certain. You can't just pick up like a hundred dollar Fender terrible amp like I did when I was 11 and then be like a half decent bassist. Like you've got to, <laughs> invest time and a lot of noise so yeah I want to play the drums amazing I can't wait for the for the wake the bones soundtrack uh <laughs> of just Elizabeth's drum solos <laughs> that'd be a horror novel right there yes <laughs> and then before we uh wrap up I would love to know what you've been reading or any um uh, books or 
journals or anything that you would recommend to people that you've been enjoying? Ooh, that is such a good question. I am, uh, Leslie Vetter's The Bone Spindle. I'm like 25 pages into it right now. I, <laughs> I just love, there've been so many good books that have come out this year. Uh, yeah. And I haven't had as much time to read this year with my own book coming out as I wanted to. But that's one that has been like, I just keep sneaking away to it. I've had, you know, it's been a pretty busy day, but I've been like a page at a time, just like, yeah, really hoping to sink my teeth into it. At some point. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. That's one I'd recommend. Um, just in general, I'm trying to think, I mean, like, if you're interested in writing fantasy, my, like, go-to and the thing that I always, like, return to as a basis for, like, how to structure stories, because it is incredibly structured in terms of, like, what it does, but it always surprises you. Howl's Moving Castle, Diana Wynne-Jones, anything, anything Diana Wynne-Jones, quite frankly, but Howl's Moving Castle was my first, like, book that gave me like fluttering I was so excited yeah. about it and I've read it so many times and I understand you know how she structures her chapters and stuff like that as a result but when I'm like lost or stuck or just really absolutely burnt out <laughs> I, it's a very different book than Wake the Bones obviously but it, <laughs> it's, it is my fantasy primer well you have given everyone some great recommendations and also pretty soon uh when this uh episode comes out uh, Wake the Bones will be on our shelves at Skylight Books and uh, they will be the beautiful finished copies that Elizabeth is holding oh in her gosh. hand now. So I exciting. Believe <laughs> real. Like I, I set that box out on my porch for like five minutes before I could go out and get it. I was like, I heard the weight <laughs> of the UPS fan okay. it and I was like, okay, that's real. I know what that is. Those are books. Yeah. And Pretty soon, uh, all of our listeners will be able to uh, grab a copy on our website at skylightbooks.com or in store. And until then, happy listening, and we hope to see you all soon. My guest again today was Elizabeth Kilcoin, and her debut novel, YA novel, Wake the Bones, is out now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. <laughs>